Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NABIP's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your healthcare happy hour. Good afternoon, morning, or evening, depending on when you're listening, and welcome back to NAPIP's Healthcare Happy Hour podcast. As our listeners are aware, NAPIP's 34th Annual Capital Conference is just around the corner from February 25th through 28th, 2024, here in Washington, D.C. If for some reason you haven't registered yet, I'm positive you'll be clamoring to register as soon as this episode ends. I have the privilege this week of welcoming a very special guest. Amy Walter, the keynote speaker at this year's event. Amy Walter is the publisher and editor-in-chief of the Cook Political Report, where she offers in-depth analysis of the issues, trends, and events that are shaping the political environment. Known for her objective and insightful commentary, she has earned her place as one of Washington's most powerful women. So without further ado, let's dive in. Welcome to the Healthcare Happy Hour, Amy. Thank you so much. I'm just Wishing that we had a cocktail or something for the happy hour part, but <laughs> this will do. This will be so fun that it, you won't need anything other than your listening ears. That's right. Yeah, I'm very happy you're here. Equally as thrilled that you're returning to the main stage at Capcom. Yes. So you, um, who, for those who didn't know, you spoke at a capital conference a few years back where you were obviously received extraordinarily well. So we're happy to have you back. Thank you. Really looking forward to it. And I'm sure, you know, Quite a bit has changed in just the last few years. Plenty <laughs> of new things to talk about. Exactly. It is not boring. I will give everybody I think can agree on that. So it is now 2024. So we're now in the election year. So I see most of the House is up for re-election. A good portion of the Senate is also. And of course, there is the presidential election. So I'm curious, what developments or trends are you finding most noteworthy at this point in time? Would you say things look as they typically do in a year that is a multiple of the number four? Or is there anything that's surprising to you? Well, we're living in this era right now where things seem both very, very stable and very unpredictable all at once. You know, you look at just on the presidential election part of this electoral cycle, it looks pretty clear that we're going to have a rematch between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And yet, even with the likelihood of Donald Trump as the nominee, we don't know what his path to November is going to look like because he's going to be in court on multiple jurisdictions with multiple different charges. Um, Will those court cases actually come to fruition? Will they be delayed? Will we get an actual reading from those, you know, whether he is found guilty or whether he's acquitted? All of these big question marks just sit over Donald Trump. So he he looks like the runaway favorite for the nomination. Right now, the polls are showing that, you know, he is 
either tied with or slightly ahead of Joe Biden in some of these state polls or the national polls. And yet there's this very big, very important question mark over his legal status coming into the election. For the House and the Senate, um, the things that I'm paying a lot of attention to, if we want to start at the House, we've got retirements. So a number of members of Congress deciding to either go run for higher office or leave altogether. Now, in some cases, they're leaving seats that aren't particularly competitive, say they're really dark blue or really dark red. But even leaving one of those seats, what we're going to be looking for is who their replacement would be. Is this someone that will be further to the right or the left of that retiring member? Will it be somebody who has a uh, very different sort of vision of what it means to be a member of Congress? So that will be important. So watching those retirements and the kinds of people that are coming uh, in to replace those folks who are retiring. Redistricting, we've had court cases uh, that have meant that certain states need to redraw their lines. We've also had just pure partisan gerrymandering going on. In a place like North Carolina, we may see the same thing happening in New York. And because control of the House is so narrowly divided, Republicans have a five-seat advantage it's the smallest of things. As I said, who decides to retire? Who decides to stay? Did, did Republicans have more retirements in, in competitive districts than Democrats? That could be enough to tip the House. Are there more districts that were redrawn that benefited Republicans than Democrats? That could be the tipping point in control of Congress. So small movement, big impact. The Senate what what we are watching for now is on the Republican side, it's primaries and who comes out of these primary contests. You know, in 2022, Donald Trump got very involved in primaries for the Senate. The candidates that he endorsed, almost all of them went on to win the nomination. So they won these crowded primaries, but then they went and lost in the general election in these swing states. And Republicans who are at the campaign committees, strategists, uh, leadership on the Republican side, doing everything they can to make sure that that doesn't happen again, that the, the quote unquote wrong candidate doesn't come out of a primary. They want to make sure that the strongest candidate makes it to the general election. And one place I think that is more important than ever is in Montana. And so I'm watching very closely uh, to see who decides to run there and then what the outcome of that contest will be. We'll know. I think it's in May. So, you know, again, these seem like really small, deep, like small details. But given how closely divided the Senate is, those are the sorts of things that could make a difference between who's in charge of the Senate and who's not. And then, of course, in a big picture way, what does the political environment look like? What are we talking about next fall? Now, right now, we know what the polls tell us voters are talking about, or more important, are concerned about. The economy, immigration, 
those two issues really topping the charts. Economy's almost always the top of the charts. The question is how not just that economy is important to voters, but how do they feel about it? How do they feel about Biden's handling of it? Are they feeling more optimistic or pessimistic? Not only are voters feeling pessimistic about the economy, they're feeling pessimistic about the president's handling of the economy, and they're feeling nostalgic for Donald Trump's handling of that issue. You ask voters now, who do you think would do a better job on the economy? Donald Trump's winning that argument by double digits. Do you, this was a Wall Street Journal poll from a couple months back, whose policies do you think helped you or hurt you more, Donald Trump or Joe Biden? More people feel as if Trump's policies helped than hurt, the opposite for Biden. But that's a lot that I just threw out at you, but it's the smallest of, of details to the biggest of issues, you know, the state of the economy that are going to be important to track throughout 2024. Those were a lot of critical insights. Do you think that uh, regarding the influx of House retirements, do you think that's because of the general craziness that we've seen in the House over the last year? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's no doubt that some of it has to do with exactly that. You know, it's it's not the most functional place uh, to work right now. <laughs> and if you are, especially if you're a House member who's been there for a while, you know, you're of a certain age where you think, okay, how many years of time do I have left before I retire? What, do, what, what are the other things I want to do with my life? And do I want to spend another two years, four years here kind of grinding away and getting nowhere? Or, you know, maybe here's the opportunity for me to go either back to where I came from and do whatever it is I was doing before I came to Congress or try something different. So I do think that's a very big piece of that. And, you know, politicians, many of them, I know you and your listeners would not be surprised to hear this, but they're very ambitious. <laughs> and so what we're seeing, especially on the Democratic side, is a lot of the retirements are to go and run for higher office, whether it's governor or Senate. So you have different reasons for every member of Congress. But I think you're exactly right that this is this is not the kind of place where people are feeling like if, if your job is, if you feel really like my job is to get something done and to deliver something to my constituents and to the American public every year, I think this last Congress was the least effective. Can't remember in how many years, but whether it was record setting or not, it either was record setting, lack of legislative accomplishments, or close to it. And then going back to the presidential race, you outlined really well why Trump looks like the certainly the clear favorite on the GOP side and what Trump versus Biden 2.0 would look like. I'm curious, you saw the Iowa caucus recently. So I'm curious mm. if you had any takeaways from that event outside of Trump being the favorite still? Yeah, I do. I think that going into 2023, all right, so going into 2023, it looked as if Trump was vulnerable. He'd come, 
come off a pretty dismal 2022 midterm election, where, as I said earlier, he endorsed a bunch of candidates who went on to lose. Democrats actually did pretty well in a midterm year, which is not normal. Usually the in-party loses seats and a lot of seats, especially when the incumbent president is as unpopular as Joe Biden was in 2022. So you looked at a cycle where Democrats were able to use Trump's unpopularity and the unpopularity of the Supreme Court decision on Dobbs to really, uh, to, to their benefit. And so there were a bunch of Republican voters who thought, you know, maybe now's the time to turn the page on Donald Trump. Not that they suddenly, you know, changed their opinion about him, that they were like, oh, I used to like him, now I hate him. That wasn't it at all. They still liked him. They would say things like, I think he was the right president. I really liked what he did, but maybe we need to turn the page. Ron DeSantis looked like the obvious successor to Trump. And then a whole bunch of things happened between the beginning of the year and that, and the beginning of 2024. I think most importantly, Donald Trump went on the offensive and he announced early. He went after Ron DeSantis. He defined the terms of the debate. Ron DeSantis did not start his campaign as early. He went back to Tallahassee and camp and did his job as a governor, the things he campaigned on. Uh, but that meant that there was a vacuum. And uh, for the people who had been interested in Ron DeSantis, they didn't really hear that much from him as a as a candidate for president, but they did hear a lot more from from Donald Trump. The other really important development, of course, were these indictments against Donald Trump, which if you had thought that they were going to actually hurt him, you would be wrong about that. Instead, it really rallied the base behind him. For voters who maybe were ready to turn the page on Donald Trump, once they saw, especially these charges in New York, the hush money trial, this um, financial um, trial about his businesses and whether they were being forthright in valuating real estate, I mean, these were the kinds of things that said to many Republican voters, oh, this is just blue America trying to take Donald Trump down. And so um, the the rally effect, I think, was incredibly significant. And so by the time we reached the middle of the year, it was pretty clear that those folks who said we're ready to turn the page on Donald Trump were now not much less ready to turn that page. And they weren't seeing in a Ron DeSantis or Vivek Ramaswamy or Tim Scott, or Nikki Haley, or Mike Pence, anything that made them feel like it would be worth turning that page, right? They they just weren't able to make an argument to Republican voters that stuck. And, right. you know, you, yeah, you, so, so I think what Iowa taught us was, you know, Ron DeSantis went all in on Iowa. He had the endorsement of the governor. He went to all 99 counties. He basically lived in that state <laughs> for weeks. He spent a great deal of money there, both on the organizing front, on the grassroots field program, as well as on 
traditional advertising. He had the support of the evangelical leadership. All of the things that in a normal time, in the pre-Trump time, would have set him up for victory. And it didn't because the traditional Republican Party does not exist. It is now a Donald Trump party. And the whatever faction is out there that is ready to have someone else as the nominee is not big enough to dislodge Donald Trump. Thank you for all that insight there. You know, I would also love to ask you about how you see the current political climate and the elections influencing future health policy decisions or what advice you would give to NAPIT members about what to follow in the coming months or how they might be able to advocate for more accessible and affordable health insurance. But you know what? I think we should save those questions for Capcom. Don't you agree? <laughs> that is a great point. Thank you. It is now time for the NAPIP Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. This week, we are toasting to Amy Walter for taking the time to come on the Healthcare Happy Hour this week, as well as in, in advance of her, what I'm sure is going to be a fantastic keynote presentation at Capitol Conference. So register now if you haven't already. Cheers! Thank you for joining us for NAPIP's Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. For more information on NABIP's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit nabip.org.